This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. J.J. Watt in the backfield. J.J. Watt, baby. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. Finally, I think we all have one thing in common. And that is, we have all spoken to the new Cardinals head coach. And now we're going to talk about what we've experienced so far with Jonathan Gannon. First day on the job here at Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. Paul Calvisi, Danny Sarek, Darren Urban. Darren was nodding along, sort of like the players were nodding. Even a few were fist pumping when he threw out the four pillars of his vision, being adaptable, violent, explosive, and smart. And I was in the back of the room because uh, we were doing some pre and post press conference coverage as I failed to uh, go ahead and turn off my phone over here. It's a busy day, Paul. There's no, there's, uh, that's okay. And, it's going to happen. And, and you could tell just, just from the players, just the mannerisms, that there was immediate buy in. They liked what they were hearing. How about you guys? What, what, what stood out to you? I mean, well, first of all, when you say that, like we had a chance to talk to Zach Ertz a little bit after it was over, and I asked him, like, does the press conference mean anything to you? You know, that's it's a press conference. Right. It's a good question. But uh, he was like, yeah, because that's one of the reasons I wanted to be here, why a lot of us wanted to be here was because we don't want to hear what the plan is through the media. We want to hear it from his own mouth. And now Zach Ertz already has a relationship with Jonathan Gannon, having spent an off-season training camp and half a season with him when he was in Philadelphia. And he said he really, really loves Gannon, he thinks that all the Eagles players loved playing for Jonathan Gannon, and he also heard good things from Vikings players when Gannon was on the Vikings staff. But I think Zach Ertz was saying a lot of the same things I was, which is you are you automatically feel the difference. The first thing that jumps out, Paul, is that, and this has, you know, we don't know if Jonathan Gannon is going to be a successful coach, but he is absolutely the opposite of what Cliff Kingsbury was Cliff Kingsbury, as Danny was saying when we were off air, was a little more guarded with how he talked. And you don't get the sense Jonathan Gannon's going to be real guarded. He's going to say what he thinks. Um, he's He has absolutely got a definitive plan, not just on defense, not just how he wants to be a head coach, but also for the offense. He didn't get real specific, but that tells me, like, Kyler sitting in front, we're going to have a great relationship, but I, I'm going to kind of tell you how this is going to be done. That's, that's kind of how I just absorbed it all yeah I got a chance to sit down for a one-on-one interview we were showcasing actually our new SeatGeek studio so go check out that interview on our website and YouTube channel to get a sneak peek at one part of that new studio which is really nice but I really enjoyed getting to talk with the new head coach because he seemed very genuine and I know that that can can say you can say that that's what every coach is going to be like on their first day and all their interviews but 
not just on camera, whether that was with myself, whether that was with other things we were doing in the studio, his press conference, he was the same when he was off camera and everyone was just kind of getting to chat with him and get to know him. And by that, I mean the energy and the passion and the way that he was conducting himself didn't seem like he was flipping a switch when the lights came on. And he seemed very genuine. And going off what Darren said, I was talking to him about the defense and how you transform this defense, the way he let, he coached a top five Eagles defense this season in total yards allowed, sacks, takeaways, had a lot of success there. And then also talking about his quarterback and the offense and how you elevate that and the characteristics he's going to be looking for in an offensive corner, which he said is top of his to-do list now as he's starting to compose his staff. And he was very excited, which we saw in a video that was put out on the Cardinals social media earlier in the week when Jonathan Gannon was here. He has interview Monday. He was still in the building on Tuesday and he had his bags in his hand halfway out the door. And owner Michael Bidwell said, oh, Kyler Murray's in the weight room, which is right around the corner. And you can watch in the video. Jonathan Gannon literally drops his bags and runs to go meet his franchise quarterback. He is very excited. And has, Gannon has a good point when he said that, first of all, there aren't many opportunities, right? Only 32 in the league. But to come in with a team that already has their franchise quarterback, somebody who is young and as talented as Kyler Murray makes his job, I'm sure, even better as he's stepping into this. Yeah. Ask Frank Reich in Carolina. D'Amico Ryans in Houston. Asked his uh, former colleague Shane Steichen in Indianapolis, all of whom are looking for that guy, looking for that for that QB1. And you're right. I mean, it was interesting because off the top, we recorded his segment for the Big Red Rage, and one of my first questions was, you didn't look nervous. Did you feel nervous up there? I've seen a lot of first-time head coach press conferences, and they were mighty nervous. And he's, he, he, he just looked at me and said, no. He said, as long as you're honest and you're yourself, there's nothing to be nervous about. I think also combined with the fact he, he would meet the Philly media on a weekly basis. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, with all due respect to uh, <clears throat> our, us and our fellow colleagues in the Phoenix media, that ain't nothing compared to what you're going to get in Philadelphia in the cross-examination you'll get from Eagles writers on a weekly basis. I mean, if we're going to... Step it up, Darren. If we're going to talk about Philadelphia, I mean, let's face it, there's an outside chance, maybe not an outside chance, that he's actually breathing a sigh of relief being out of Philadelphia now, given the fact that... As successful as he was for two seasons, all he got was grief for it. Well, I forget where it was. It might have been. I was on. I was on with Wolf earlier this week. Did you guys read the story during Super Bowl media night? He told one of the Eagles beat writers because the question to him was, "Why don't you think the Eagles fan base is totally on board with you? Seventy sacks, fifteen more than any other team in the regular season. As you said, Danny, top three, top five in every meaningful defensive metric." And he told a story, Jonathan Gannon, of walking into a restaurant with his wife and three young kids. And before long, in his words, he got, quote, dog cussed by a bunch of Eagles fans in the restaurant. And he turned to his wife and he said, well, ain't that something? We've won five in a row and I'm still getting cussed out. So if you he didn't say this, but I said this before we even met Jonathan Gannon. If he was intent on leaving Philadelphia for reasons like that, I wouldn't blame him. I really wouldn't, based on that sort of fan base, if he's getting that sort of treatment. Well, and just briefly touching on if he were to leave Philadelphia, I I do like that in the press conference it was cleared up because something that had been roaming Twitter, social media, was an interview a couple of weeks back during the playoffs when Jonathan Gannon was interviewed by, I believe it was a local media member in Philly. It was a Fox TV station. 
had I asked, asked the question, Danny. Thank you, you for bringing I'll this up. I'll let you take it away then. No, with no, his answer. no. Well, well, somebody just uh, it, it was going around social media. Yeah. A lot of Philly fans were upset that a few weeks ago, Jonathan Gannon was asked if he's planning on leaving Philly. He said, "No, I don't plan on leaving. This is where I'm going to be." And Gannon cleared that up in his press conference with GM Monty Austinfort and owner Michael Bidwell that. That was the case because the only team Gannon had interviewed with at that time had been the Texans. And Gannon had already been informed that they were going in a different direction because Gannon didn't even know he was going to interview with the Cardinals until Sunday night after the Super Bowl. And he was told, you're not flying back with the team. You're going to stay here and interview with the Cardinals. So Gannon was getting a lot of flack from Philly fans that you said you weren't going to leave, like go on and leave. You lied to us when that wasn't the case. Gannon didn't even know he was going to interview with the Cardinals. And I think that says a lot that in the span of 24 yep. hours, you coach in the Super Bowl, you lose the Super Bowl, and then you end up saying and you have enough passion and energy and smarts and knowledge within 24 hours to have such an incredible interview with Bidwell and Awesome for it that you end up getting the job. I think that says a lot about Jonathan Gannon. And then the second half of the Super Bowl obviously uh, didn't help things with relations with Eagles fans and and so and it was interesting to hear that he actually watched the film that night in his hotel room after Super yeah. Bowl 57. So you know the sort of investment he has in what he's doing for a living. And by the way, he said he's never had a job his entire life because football is fun to him. So, and, and it's apparent, the passion. I mean, when he was coming into the building, you might have seen the video, azcardinals.com, Cardinals Twitter, and he's coming in and all the team employees are out there and he's getting a round of applause and all that. And someone next to me who works on the business side, she said, you know what, I'm ready to go out on the field right now. And I told her, I said, well, we'll set up the blocking sled. You know, if you want to <laughs> work off some energy, we'll get the tackling dummies out there. You know, so that's how infectious that personality is. You know, look, there's always going to be an uptick in enthusiasm and excitement when the new coach comes in. I mean, sure, you're doing something wrong if there's not that. Right. But I, he absolutely adds to it. And you talk about players nodding along when they he said some of those early things in the press conference. I noticed at the end too. The last question was, "Why? Why do you love football? Why was football ended up being your path?" And he basically said, "There's no, there's nothing else in the world except for maybe when your children are born." He didn't know that, so I just want everybody to know. Um, there's nothing else in the world like running out of the tunnel. And I watched all those players in the front row because I was the row behind them. And it wasn't super, it wasn't like they were really rocking their but they're all kind of like, you could just, all of them were just kind of like, he gets it. That makes sense if that's the message of being a team player and accountability was asked. That's something we have heard from Awesome Fort, something we've heard from Bidwell for the last five or six weeks throughout this coaching and GM search was accountability and needing more of that in the locker room throughout the entire building. And that was something that Gannon touched on was you're not just going to, harp on your players when they're doing something that needs to be corrected. He said, you're also going to love on them when they're doing something really well and know that they're doing something really well. And I thought that his answers were very honest. They didn't necessarily sound like the cookie cutter answers when he was asked about accountability. And he was asked, he was asked a quite a few number of questions about Kyler Murray specifically with Kyler Murray sitting in the front row. And from what we know about Kyler, I'm sure he felt a little awkward maybe I, i'll but. be honest i felt awkward a couple of times when it's like so what are you going to do with kyler oh, well this is what i'm going to do with kyler and you i, I actually on those questions i actually was watching kyler's yes. face and he did uh, kyler did a great job of keeping a pretty stone face and you know what he, there there were a good amount of players that were at the press conference which i thought was pretty cool to see it was kyler murray 
James Conner, Zach Ertz, DJ Humphreys, Will Hernandez, Rashard Kelvin Lawrence. Beecham. Byron Murphy was yes, in back yes. near me. Colt McCoy. I mean, if, if you were a player and you were here, or even if you weren't here, I think a couple of players came for the press conference, which was nice yeah, to see. Yeah, there, there ended up being a lot more, you know, we right before we started this, I knew all the people in the front row and, and just off to the side, like Colt, but Paul was, and, and Jim O'Mahundra were letting me know about the ones in the back, like Byron Murphy and, and Matt Prater, because if you, got, if you got in there too late, Unfortunately, Paul figured this out. Yet again, there, Paul. There was no room I to was move. on air okay, with a pre-press conference show. That's fair. We just yeah. wanted to make sure you got a seat yeah. this time. I was there, though, when he defined accountability, because you mentioned that, right? And and he was, he was uh, pretty direct as to his expectation. And he said, and I quote, you got to define what winning is and hold people to that standard. He said, accountability doesn't have to be a negative. It can be a positive, and the ultimate accountability, according to Jonathan Gannon, comes down to not letting your teammates down. And so, and it was interesting that when we elaborate on that in the Big Red Rage, he cited Nick Sirianni as being a real example of that. And I watched through the Shane Steichen press conference in Indianapolis, and one of my big takeaways was when he brought up on his own Nick Sirianni and what an amazing job Sirianni did and holding people accountable from day one. Because someone asked him what was the key in taking a four-win team to the Super Bowl in two years, and he cited the accountability. Now, Howie Roseman doing an unbelievable job of stacking that roster uh, doesn't hurt. And Jalen Hurts evolving into one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Exactly. But that was all part of the formula. And I like the fact that he was there, involved in taking a four-win team where the Cardinals are right now. A lot of parallels to what's facing him now, what was facing that staff two years ago in Philly. Speaking of Jalen Hurts and quarterbacks, Paul, I think you should touch on the great answer that Gannon had when you got a chance to talk with him because you asked him about Kyler Murray because Bidwell and Austin Fort both touched on something they liked in their interview with Gannon was the plan he has for Kyler Murray and how to maximize his skill set. And his answer, and I don't have the quote right in front of me, but just Is since this the he, big red rage one? Yeah, since he was sitting in that seat, and Darren, you put it in your article on azcardinals.com, yeah, right? Yeah. And it was most lo- of it, some of it. And I asked him, yeah, I asked him about Kyler and just um, because, look, let's face it, there are a couple of boxes he had to check, I believe, with Michael Bidwill and Monty Austin Ford. Accountability was one, and the other had to be Kyler Murray, your franchise quarterback. Are you on board or not? And I asked him about what sort of relationship he expects to have, especially as a defensive head coach. And he answered immediately and said, and I quote, we're going to have a great relationship. He's a direct reflection of me. That position is the player that's most like a coach on the field. And when you have to defend a player like that, it puts a defense in conflict. You can't do everything you want to do as a defense. Later, we talked about trying to game plan against Kyla Murray and what a legit problem. But a direct reflection of me. What do you guys think he meant? by that well now that now that i heard it when i first heard it i thought "Ooh, this is this could be kind of intriguing if he sees kyler murray as the same kind of competitor as he did when i heard the quote i think it has more to do with the fact that as he said that's the quarterback is the coach on the field he's the one touching the i think what he's saying is if i'm doing a good job as coach the quarterback is going to reflect that and if the quarterback is playing poorly, then that I'm not doing my job as coach. And it won't really necessarily matter. This is how I interpret it. It yep. won't necessarily matter that I'm a quote-unquote defensive coach because we all know it starts with the quarterback. And I think I, I do say I, I do think that after listening to one of the many things that I took out of this press conference is there was a lot of praise from Jonathan Gannon about his quarterback. And there needs to be. 
it's his first day on the job, and that's going to be his quarterback. So God forbid it was anything but that. And the quarterback was in the front row. That's true. But there was praise, and he said the things that, that needed to be said. And yet, like I, I said earlier, when he was asked, when I asked him, actually, I think I was the one who asked the question about the offense and his coordinator and, and the philosophy, and he basically says, I know what I want on the offense, and that's whoever is going to be the coordinator is going to run it in that through that prism it's almost like he's going to reverse engineer the oc hire because he has a vision for what he wants in offense we talked a little bit about that on big red rage in fact he went on with wolf and he said that we're going to quote live in 11 12 and 13 personnel that's what he did reveal a little bit deeper into what the cardinals offensive identity might look like so we'll see who exactly the offensive coordinator is but you know something else i was thinking as it was unfolding and he had a lot of praise for Kyler and yeah Kyler was there etc but remember what Mike McDaniel did with Tua in Miami yeah he had to restore his confidence that's a good call and Kyler had a down year until he got hurt he was not having the same caliber of season he had the year before in fact you could look at the last month obviously plus of 2021 and then all of 2022 he was not the same quarterback that he was over the first two-thirds of 2021 when he's a legit MVP candidate so maybe this was day one, step one of trying to restore some confidence in Kyler Murray. McDaniel went to the point where he had the interns, the video department, put together a massive highlight reel of all of Tua's best plays, high school, college, and pro, just to say, okay, you've been there and done that. You're fully capable of doing it again. So I thought that was intriguing. And, and yeah, that's where I guess his job starts in a lot of ways. At the same time, you're not going to have Kyler on the field for how many weeks, months? You don't know. Yeah, that's the hard part, and, and those are the questions that are going to be answered hopefully soon as we're just a few weeks away from the Combine in Indy, and while there's a good chance you won't have your full staff you know, hired by then, you will probably have a pretty good idea of what kind of players you are looking for and an idea of what you want to do with the third overall pick in the draft. And Gannon talked about free agency and making sure that they are taking all the necessary steps to maximize Kyler Murray and this offense. And so I, I think that once you get the offensive coordinator and you have an idea of what you want, you can start looking at the pieces you have because we've talked about come March, you have a lot of your offensive line, most of your offensive line, our decisions are going to have to be made, whether that's by them with retirement or by this front office of if you're going to sign someone and bring them back. There are a lot of, a lot of decisions that are going to have to be made. And then on defense, what was interesting was when Gannon was asked if he's planning on calling the defense he doesn't know yet it depends on how this coaching staff shakes out which I I think I like of not necessarily going in of yes or no I really do think that depends on the personnel that you have and so I think that makes sense and it makes sense with what Gannon has said about a scheme which is not necessarily having one but going back to that adaptability of who do you have available that week who are you playing that week and kind of using the players you have the best way you can and kind of adjusting each week it was interesting to me about the call play calling because he said one of the reasons he's looking at it that way is because that's how Nick Sirianni approached it when he got the Philadelphia job. Nick Sirianni was a play caller when he got that job, but he ended up letting Shane Steichen do it because Nick Sirianni wanted to make sure that he could oversee things and he felt like it was better for him to not have the play calls, which I know was always a thing with Cliff Kingsbury. And it's interesting, even uh, as we record this today, the day that 
Jonathan Gannon had his press conference, that Nick Sirianni had his end-of-the-year press conference, and he told the media again, whoever I hire as offense coordinator is going to call plays because I prefer to do it this way. So I'll be curious to see. I could totally see Jonathan Gannon being the guy who's more of an oversee guy and letting somebody else play uh, do the defensive play calling. And in fact, I know one of the names Howard Balzer floated out there as a potential as being on the staff in some way, shape, or form is Mike Zimmer, uh, whom uh, Gannon worked for in Minnesota. So that would be quite – I don't know if he would necessarily be the play caller, but Mike, you talk about a guy yep. who's got experience calling defenses. Yep, and and he would be that former longtime head coach he could rely on. He would have that guy in his staff as a first-time head coach where there are inevitably going to be things that come across your desk that you're going to encounter – Oh boy, I haven't been here. Uh, what do you think about this? And Cliff Kingsbury had that in advance, Joseph. So, and by the way, Vance Joseph reportedly is interviewing in Denver and in Philly for those defensive coordinator jobs. So we'll see what comes of that as of this recording. But as for the not having a set scheme or a single scheme that he's married to all the time, Gannon did say on the radio side that it's just part of his bigger overall philosophy, that it's not my way or the highway, in his words, that He's not the we've always done it this way type of guy, so we're going to do it this way. He said, if that's your mindset in today's NFL, you will die. That's what Gannon said. And that's where it gets back to the adaptability. Adapt or die in the NFL because inevitably you're going to get figured out. You can't be that predictable. He also had an interesting comment on the offensive side of NFL Network where he answered what sort of style you're going to run. He said, well, we're going to throw it over people's heads and we're going to run it down people's throats. <laughs> That's a great line. We're going to throw it over people's heads, line. and we're going to run it down people's throats. I will say that the the space between the comment and then the execution of such thing is is fairly large. <laughs> Don't bring us down, Darren. I no. would never do that. Well, his counterpart, uh, Shane Steichen in Indianapolis, his line was, we're going to throw it to score points, we're going to run it to win games. So they both had pretty good one-liners. When it comes to uh, offensive philosophy. And apparently Gannon has a couple of those one-liners. It's We heard, let it rip, buckle up. Supposedly we're going to hear a lot more of what we've been told yeah. are called JG-isms. Uh, so you know what? You can start getting rid of the Pauly Pencilneck bingo card and start formulating a new bingo card over there, effective immediately with a new head coach and some of his new saints. Well, if you say Capiche? one thing in particular, it will be time for a new bingo card because <laughs> I will have bingo, Paul, so come on. I am going to get home tonight at Casa Calvisi, and oh, as they go for their bingo card... Not on, not on mine. No. I'm going to say to the kids, okay, did we get better today? Who got better today? That's, uh, that's going to be the dad... Uh, Wait, you didn't ism. already do that with your kids? <laughs> no, I'm going to add that to the arsenal. Are you going to make sure that Jonathan Gannon can see the, the lines that aren't really lines, but the different colored bricks in the parking lot here at the facility? <laughs> Wait, he's, he's, behind the, he's behind the fence. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Matter. He parks, he parks in a different place than he, we do. He's, he's above and beyond he's where we are. got an assigned reserve spot behind the gate so it's a totally different tax bracket than Pauly parking spot put it that way that's uh what else uh, stood out about this you know what I didn't ask him and I had about 10 questions I couldn't get to on the big red rage I wanted to ask him what sort of training camp he's going to run nobody Ooh, asked him that right well, but you know we what? got a long it, time it, to get to that it though. did yeah. seem like it was going to be more intense because when he was talking about his energy and his passion and saying that he's going to bring this every day, and when it becomes that third week of training camp and everyone else is tired, you're still going to get that same Jonathan Gannon that we were seeing today, which tells me, okay, if it's a third week of training camp and everyone's feeling tired, like 
okay, let's have let's have a a hard training camp. Yeah, I, I mean, I could be reaching, but that's what I made of it. Let's face it, anything's going to be more physical and more taxing than last year's training camp. And a lot of that had to do with injuries. I get it. And then they got so injured they didn't want to risk getting injured further, and then it became even lighter. So, uh, But, I mean, at least in that regard. Uh, what else stood out to you about the press conference? I mean, you know, I just just the way he handled himself, just the confidence that he presented. Uh, he didn't seem flummoxed or befuddled by any of the questions as a first-time head coach. You can see where – you know what else? Here's something that jumped out to me. When he said he disagreed with Monty Osenfort in the interview about something, and then I tried to drill a little deeper on that in the Big Red Rage. I said, was it on the roster? And he laughed. He said, oh, yeah, the roster too. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so there was more than one item that they had a, a, a good-natured, healthy debate about. But I like that. I mean, if Monty Osenfort is of the opinion and what he told the media was that it's the lifeblood of any organization – that relationship between the head coach and the GM, you have to have complete organizational alignment, I think is what he called it. I like that. I like the fact that the two of them already are at a point in the relationship. They've known each other long enough. Where they go, you know what? Um, maybe you need to think of it in this manner and approach it from that angle. And that's a good point. The relationship going back to last summer when Monty Awesomefort was still in Tennessee, he had not been hired as a general manager yet, but was doing his own research, his own preparation for that, for his future. And, he had a list of people he wanted to get to know more and their philosophies and, and how they go about their day-to-day business. And Jonathan Gannon was one of those people. And so they met briefly last summer. And so when you start going through that coaching search, that was a name that was already on Awesome Fort's mind. The unfortunate part is is the timing of everything. Right. And so by the time that Awesome Fort was hired by the Cardinals, that window had closed so you couldn't interview Gannon. And then, like we talked about, he, he was interviewed, didn't even know it was happening until after the Super Bowl. Yeah, the the timing thing is very it is very interesting to me. But knowing that there was a previous, uh, I, there's a lot of people out there. When I tweeted out that uh, Gannon didn't know he was going to be interviewing with the Cardinals until Howie Roseman talked to him after the Super Bowl was over, and they're like, "Yeah, right, sure, that was out there." I I can buy it. I'm not saying that nobody knew Gannon was going to talk there, but I could buy that he didn't know necessarily. Because Austin Fort was able to have that prior discussion. And it made me think, quite frankly, after spending a week at the Super Bowl and, and attending the Fritz Pollard luncheon, uh, who, where the focus is trying to get more black head coaches, it just it made me think of how important it is to have the people that are making decisions on who the coaches are going to be to have prior relationships. I mean, one of the things Austin Fort said was the previous year, when he before 2022, when he interviewed for a couple of jobs, they asked him, "Okay, if you come in here, who would you want to interview for head coach?" And he was saying, "I had these names, and I realized I really didn't know them, and that's why he decided to go back out and and get to know these people." and And it does make a difference. And I do yep. think that Jonathan Gannon, as we all found out today, absolutely can make that kind of impression on you in one interview in one day. And but if Monty Osborne already had the background, plus you saw what he had done on the field, and then he comes in and and Monty Osborne sees again what he saw before, I could see very easily why that would be able to convince Michael Bidwell that this was the right choice. So when Jonathan Gannon addresses pretty early in the press conference the entire media contingent and says, uh, "Guess what? We're going to win games, and don't get it twisted. We're going to win." That was. Yeah. 
That was a pretty, you know, bold statement. It really, but it didn't come off as as canned or like, you know, like a Lane Kiffin back in the day with the Raiders or Rex Ryan, you know, one of these. Buddy okay, Ryan. Yeah, buddy, you know. You got a winner in town. Exactly. You know, it was, it, was a, it was a premeditated. It didn't come off to me that way. It was just sort of the conclusion of a thought. And I think it was a little window into his personality that he has that sort of confidence. I am. There's always a fine line between confidence and cockiness and all that stuff. But if you're the, I don't. If I'm the head coach, especially on my first day, I don't give a flying fig if you don't. Those on the outside don't believe what I'm saying. The important part is that those on the inside believe what we're saying, and I. 100% and I go I believe this with all coaches but I 100% believe that Jonathan Gannon believes that he's going to come in and he's eventually going to turn this around and they're going to win a lot of games and potentially win a title. I absolutely because anybody on that level thinks that. They better be, right? Well, and his quote was at another point in the press conference about the noise that's been out there both in Philly and the maybe part of this process. He said, "Hey, I don't care about other people's opinions. I really don't, other than the people I'm working for and working with. That was also very believable. He was very convincing when he said that. And let's face it, he's coming from Philly. He probably needed he needed to have that sort of demeanor, right? Uh, that, that, that sort of uh, indefensible uh, you know, guard around him well, just to deal with Eagles Nation, as, as we saw after the Super Bowl. I don't know him personally. Uh, I, I enjoyed my interactions with him today. I, I was able to read that very good Cleveland Plain Dealer story about him growing up. And what struck me about him, and they talk a lot about how his high school athletic uh, exploits and how good he was, and I saw a couple pictures, and I'm thinking to myself, that's the kid in high school that if you're at an opposing high school, you're sitting in that student section saying stuff that eventually the security guard comes over and says, guys, you're gonna get, we're going to throw you out of the gym if you keep yelling that stuff. But you do because you're 16 years old and you're an idiot. But he's the one you're going after, and he's the one egging everybody on in the other gym. That's, that's what Jonathan Gannon reminds me of. You want him on your side. When he's not on your side, you don't like him all that much. Guess what? He was a point guard in a state championship yes. high school basketball yes. team. So you can imagine some of those packed Absolutely. gyms. And Ohio high school athletics getting pretty serious. I hope if he ever hears this, he takes yeah. that the right way. So but my guess is he would. You think he's going to get any use of the mini basketball hoop in the locker room? <laughs> that was gone by the end of the year. Yeah, it was four square, Danny. Was Remember at the end of oh, sorry. Four square was yeah, it was like elementary school at that point. You know, yeah. <laughs> my bad. Somebody must have hung on See, the rim and broke that, it. That I don't didn't know. feel like a very genuine my bad there, Danny. It wasn't. <laughs> Good job, Darren. <laughs> Way to pick up on social cues. <laughs> so how was he in the TV studio, Danny? It was good. I mean, he just sort of, who said it earlier, and I totally agree, it's not like he flipped a switch and changed demeanor once he got in front of the camera. He was the same person in front of or behind the camera, whether the red light was on or off. No, he was great in the studio. Um, I thought that he was, again, very genuine. He seemed very calm, didn't seem nervous or you know anything like that with the questions I was asking him, which was great. Um, so hopefully we're going to get a lot more one-on-ones with him on a consistent basis because he was really great. We got some stuff for our social content. So you have TikTok looking at the two of you, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. He's going to be all over our social channels. Sure. So sure. yeah, check your TikTok, Paul. 
The one story, I'll leave you with this, and then my work here is done. Uh, the one story I got a reaction from him on was when we've been going to Cleveland for the last 20 years here and there, Cardinals road trips, we go to Johnny's on Fulton, old Italian place, right? Straight out of Goodfellas. In fact, the last time we were there, the waiter was a dead ringer for Joe Pesci, both in size and the voice. And we asked, what's good on the menu today? And he said, well, my aunt just made all the gnocchi. What do you mean she made them? Yeah, she made them at home and brought them over. <laughs> okay, I'll have that. The homemade gnocchi. Phenomenal. Across the street from Johnny's on Fulton and down about half a block, St. Rocco's Catholic Church, where he was married. I brought that up. He immediately lit up and said, all three of our kids were baptized there. He said, have you asked Gina about that? As if I had met his wife yet, which I haven't. I said, no, but I'll, I'll bring that up with Gina later. St. Rocco's. <laughs> he said, all our families from that area. So... It was good. That's it's a small world in that regard. But he does have that. You can see where he has the ability to walk up on any player, that personality. Yes. And, and the ability to interact and then hopefully motivate and then ultimately hold him accountable because that's where a lot of this starts if you want to listen to those on the inside as to where things might have really gone sideways last year everyone needs to be held accountable and and I don't think you know we dismiss that he said that ultimate accountability is to your teammate and that he was taught at a very young age it's not about you it's about the team and so all these things combined you can see how he checked box by box by box during that interview process and how he was deemed the best fit I, that was my ultimate takeaway I, okay I can see now how he was they declared him the winner in the interview process it's early. I mean, we don't there's a lot to go through. He as Danny noted that, you know, we don't know how quickly this coaching staff is going to come together and it probably won't all be together by the time we go to the combine in 10 days or whatever it is. Um there's roster building that has to go come down. There's injuries that still have to be rehabbed. There's so much that still needs to be done. But as we sit here as he's now in place and you have a coach he makes you feel pretty good, and we'll see where that goes. I, you know, I know there's lots of fans out there who feel burned multiple times, and I don't blame you. I, one of the questions in the upcoming mailbag was, Jonathan Gannon, I don't know how to feel. Tell me how to feel, which I don't do. Everybody's got a feeling yep. is a very personal yep. decision, so you got to feel how you're going to feel. I will say that after meeting him, I feel pretty good, but – that's just me. Yeah, but how do you feel about Kevin Durant? I feel pretty good about Kevin Durant, too. Cool. How do you feel about 45 points in a Nets uniform by Bridges? Cost of doing business, Paul. Oh, boy. Hello. Mm, okay. Exciting right. times in the Valley. Okay. Very much. All right. There you go. That's Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.